Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff to spice up the bedroom is even better. Whether you're buying a gift for your sugar baby or just for yourself, you can get 50% off at adamandeve.com when you enter the code CANDY at checkout. And that's not all. Adam and Eve will include 10 tantalizing free gifts, a sexy item for him, a special gift for her, and a third item all partners can enjoy. Plus, you'll receive six free spicy movies. But the best part is the free shipping. You can get all of this at adamandeve.com using code CANDY at checkout. That's C-A-N-D-Y. So Shelby, what are you getting me? Candy Girl Podcast. Fuck me, Daddy. <laughs> hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Candy Girl. I'm your host, Shelby. And I'm your co-host, Emily. And today we're here with Helena Locke. She's a dominatrix. Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, as you said, I'm Helena Locke. I am from the L.A. area. Um, I've been in the scene professionally since, uh, say, like fall of 2015. I also do work in the adult industry, too. I film mainly for kink. I also do fetish videos for myself. And um, then I've also been kind of getting doing a lot of training and healing work and kind of learning how to combine those within the BDSM realm. And it's kind of a growing evolution for me. So what got you interested in the industry? Um, well, it wasn't my first stint in the um, adult industry. I actually was a stripper a while back. (laughs) Actually, um, I started in Texas and I did it for about six years. And then the economy fell out. Like we had the big, you know, the, you know, the uh, housing uh, recession and it got really hard just because nobody had, you know, the money um, to do it. And at this point I was living in California. So I left and um, then I went into the corporate world and um, I was a recruiter for a really long time. And I just kept thinking, gosh, I really miss the freedom, the creativity, and just the overall interactions that you get with someone. I really liked connecting on that level. And so um, I always kind of played with kink in my personal life. And then I just started taking classes at a dungeon in LA, um, not really thinking that that's what I was going to do. And then I was like, I never even thought about this is like a possibility as a job. So, um, you know, then I went through layoff and I was like, okay, maybe it's time to kind of like start moving in that direction. And so that's basically the story of how I got into it. That's super cool. So a quick question about the classes, what are they like and what do you call the teacher? Um, usually they'll, they'll be called mistress or, 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 you know, whatever, if they have an honorific title, it it really is up to them. Sometimes they just want to be called by their first name. Um, each, I would say each mistress dominatrix has their own, you know, criteria. Some are super strict and they want to be in a certain way. Some, um, you know, are not as, um, because I think, you know, you're getting some people that have never, done anything like this before. So some of it's very, you know, exploratory. Um, And then you have some that do. Um, But it really is just dependent upon the instructor. But I've, oh gosh, I've just taken anything from how to find a dominant woman. I think like Tara Indiana was like the first classes I um, took. Um, And then I've taken some from Stockroom from a multitude of different instructors. I've taken a lot from just different, um, and I, and I continue to take classes. I think it's something that's always great to do, no matter how far down you are in your profession, even if it's just a basic class, because, you know, ideally we get stuck in our routines and, you know, sometimes, you know, we forget, oh yeah, you can do something this way, or it's just kind of refresher or just kind of sparks things back to life that you wouldn't have thought of doing it in that way. So, you know, I always like taking things from everybody else's perspectives because it's a, you know, great way to kind of see it from somebody else's viewpoint, you know. Okay. So are classes more for figuring out how to do certain things safely or more for inspiration or a little bit of both? I would say both. I mean, they're always going to go over, you know, a certain aspect, you know, safely. Um, because that's, you know, the responsibility of the community, especially for people who don't understand what they're doing. Um, so it's great if that's something that somebody wants to explore. I always recommend, Hey, just 
take class. And I think even right now, there's a lot of classes that are going on um, online. I know um, Justine Cross has, she does a lot within her community. Um, so I, I think she's been doing a lot of virtual classes. We should totally take a dog class. I would be so down. That would be so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just have fun. Yeah, I mean, it seems like better than picking like college electives. So <laughs> I would much rather learn how to pick someone than another fucking equation. So there you go. There you go. Right? It's all going down the hole anyhow. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, what kind of fetish work do you do specifically, or do you like doing the most? You know, I mean, you'll get people who ask you that question a lot, and it it varies because it's. Um, you have somebody who's either never done anything um, or if they've done it all or they have a certain criteria. But what really makes a session, to me, um, very unique and fun is the connection that you can build with someone. So, you know, even though, yeah, there's a lot of corporal things I like and, you know, there's, you know, even things that I don't get to do a lot. You know, like I don't get to do as much, you know, medical fetish stuff or things of that sort. But... Um, what really makes for me personally and just amazing session is just the connection that you can build with someone. And it's kind of like there's it's, you know, if you feel really connected to somebody, it's almost like a push pull and you can feel it like the, the energy is very, I feel like it's very tactile to me. So you just get that symbiotic kind of flow within it and you can really play off each other. And it's kind of, you know, you, you go down the rabbit hole. Um, so to me, it doesn't necessarily has to be anything that's extra out of this world crazy. It just really has to have a good connection and flow. And that just really takes a lot of, you know, uh, communicating on both parts to get to that destination. So, um, at the beginning, when you were kind of introducing yourself, you mentioned uh, healing work and how you're incorporating that into BDSM as an outsider, that almost sounds contradictory. Could you explain that a little more? I'm sorry, as a what? Uh, just as an outsider. So okay. I've never been to a dungeon. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, so how would you feel that? Let me ask you this question. How would you feel that as a little bit contradictory? So I guess like kind of what I'm getting at is, is um, honestly, since I've never had an experience with the dominatrix, part of what I imagine is just, you know, being degraded, humiliated, um, all of my fetishes and kinks being addressed. But then I guess the healing aspect, is that more of like kind of a sexual healing in the way that, you know, therapy is for like healing your mental health or is there like, I guess when you say healing, what, what does that mean? Well, it can be a, a variance of things, but it's like, you know, you touched on like, Hey, if I was, you know, I want to be degraded or this and that, but why do you want that? Right. Cause do you feel like it's a need that needs to be fulfilled? So essentially, that would be something that would be cathartic for you because you feel like it's something that you're holding within you that you need to either address, um, you need to either um, harness through that emotion, or you need to harvest that energy to kind of like, almost to amplify you to kind of get you out and going in the world. So, you know, and this might feel like a little deep for, for a little bit, you can take you know, when you, if you like, let's just say a heavy humiliation scene, there's, there may be things that you want to face. Like maybe you were humiliated as a child, right? And it wasn't a very healthy place, but for some reason you've kept that with you and you need to get humiliated over and over again to almost make you feel alive or almost make you feel like, Hey, I can handle this. Like I'm facing this, I'm facing my fear um, and I'm walking past it. So people don't realize they almost kind of get and I don't want this to go off subject, but almost trauma bonded to something if that's something that's happened to them. And so they don't realize that, they, that actually they, they'll crave it and they'll need it. So you can take things like that and harness that. And it can be a, a very healing, cathartic release for you because you're in a safe space. Um, and you can also feel like, hey, I've taken that. I've conquered it. I feel more energized. And now I can take that energy and just kind of move it out into the world, whether it's going to be like, hey, I have more energy to do my work in a sense because it's not just something inside me that's weighing me down. Does that make sense? Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Is yeah. like is the psychology behind kinks or fetishes something that interests you? Yeah, I've always 
I've always really enjoyed figuring out how people tick. So I've always kind of had, and I didn't even know, I don't even think I really knew when I was younger. Like I'm one of those people that, you know, I'll sit at a park bench and I'll kind of watch people interact and kind of do things. So I like kind of figuring out, well, why? And what does that, what do you get out of that? Um, So a lot of times before going into sessions, um, you know, I'll really, you know, kind of sit down and have a good 15 minute conversation with them or, you know, we'll have a phone call before we meet up and I want to get kind of into their head. Like, you know, why are they into this? You know, when did this kind of come about? When did they first notice it? Um, you know, have they, what kind of experiences have they experienced? How did they feel out of that experience? You know, what's their um, intention for the session? Because um, sometimes, you know, they just don't know and they go into it. And then sometimes, you know, they never thought about being asked those questions as like, oh, okay, well, maybe I need to sit back and go, okay, well, why, why do I want this? And what is the intention that I want of it? And then it actually gives them um, kind of a, a free way to kind of go and to explore more things. Do you feel like as a dominatrix, you have to have a certain level of empathy? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you, you I mean, you got to be able to, I think one of the keys is really being able to connect with somebody and read them. Because, you know, the it's important because there's a lot of safety and in, in, into it. You know, somebody can go deep into subspace and not be able to communicate what's going wrong with them. So you got to be able to read them, read the room, read their body language, um, because they could get to that point where it's kind of like almost like a high and they can't really verbally speak. So you need to know it's like, okay, we need to maybe end this or we can go a little bit further. So, you know, you can play with a safe word, you can play without a safe word, but basically if you know, you do rack your, your, um, you're more aware and it, and being able to judge whether this is right for them. Um, and being able to move on because if they're so into um, a scene or a moment and they're not able to communicate with you, you need to make that judgment call. So yeah, being an empath, being able to sense and feel what's going on with them in the room makes it's, it's a huge factor. Yeah. I feel like as someone who like, I like, I think I'm an empath and I feel like sometimes that can really take an emotional toll and become very draining. Do you ever not come home with you after a session? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's where me learning a lot of the healing work, you know, plays in part because I've learned how to clear my energy. I've learned how to even set up energetic boundaries for myself, um, you know, going into it Um, and also just being able to hold space with someone. So I did get trained in Reiki. Um, I've done a little, I mean, this is a little off base, but I've done a little bit of Akashic Records work and um, I'm going into also learning into a lot of breath work. So a lot of times in the beginning of session, I'll just hold energetic space with them for about five or 10 minutes. I'll do a little bit of Reiki, a lot of breath work, just so they can connect back to themselves because we live in this really fast world and it's so easy to get completely disconnected because, you know, you have your social media, which we don't even realize how addicted we are to that. Um, we have emails and text messages that come on the fly and then we're multitasking, you know, 20 million things. So we get so disconnected from ourselves and our body and we're thinking too far ahead instead of being present and in the moment. So I like to really kind of center my time and just being there with them, doing a little bit of energy work, holding space, breathing with them, coaching them through some breathing so they can connect back to themselves um, and be able to kind of be more present for themselves and really focus on that moment. Because again, back to, they'll be thinking so far ahead, oh, is she going to do this next? Is she going to do this next? She gonna do, instead of just really experiencing the moment. I love that. That's so, I just, originally I was looking for a new therapist, but now I just need you to move to Denver to help me work on my issues. So I really cathartic. Finally, I can get to the bottom of it. <laughs> Um, So I have a question about long-term clients because you mentioned that a lot of people's fetishes are rooted in possibly trauma bonding as well as other like previous experiences. So when people come in, um, do they kind of always want a similar session or how do clients evolve or figure out what their kinks are? 
it just depends, you know, um, it could depend on life. I mean, they might come in with something and that's what they stay with through the entire time. It might start with something, then they'll try something else. Then they don't like it. They don't want to do that. They go back to the original thing. And, and, and it also kind of depends on the factors of what's happening in their life. Um, and then sometimes they'll, it'll just grow into a multitude of different fetishes or kinks or scenarios. So there's really no one size fits all. It's really just kind of dependent, you know, within the mistress and the, you know, submissive or masochist, you know, really what kind of uh, avenue they feel is right, you know, for them. But there's just, you know, to have, I think sometimes if they're new to it, you know, they'll, they expect it's like, oh, well, what should I expect? Well, we don't really know because it's going to be based off your reactions. It's going to be based off how you handle things. It's going to, you know, there's a lot of different factors that can take place. So it's really, again, there's just no size fits all. You know, you just have to have somebody that you feel like you have a connection with. I would say if you're submissive and you're looking for someone, you know, really take the time to just go, hey, do I feel like I can, can connect with this person? Do I feel like they understand me and hear me? Because, you know, I might be great for one person, but it's not the right size for another person, you know, and there's a lot of different doms on, out there and they have a lot of different specialties. Um, and you might find somebody that has a similar background to you or somebody who, who might, you know, understand your plight. So it's just really important to take the time to research you know, talk to them. You can, a lot of times they'll have like night flirts or sex bather accounts that where you can sit there and you can talk to them and have a discussion and sit and go, okay, is this the right person for me? You know, because there's even times where I'm be like, okay, you know what? I might not be the right person for you. Let me pass you along to somebody else, you know, and I've had that vice versa. So it's just, you know, you, you shouldn't, you know, expect each Dom to be an automatic fit for you. It's just really, it's like, you know, it's like finding anything that you might go find an instructor for. You want to find somebody that you connect to and you feel like there's a good synergy for them. I think that's a huge importance when it comes to sessions because it's such a, a personal journey. Um, and it's such an intimate journey between you and them that, you know, it just really needs to be the right match. So take your time in finding that for sure. Do you have any like questions you would recommend people asking? Um, yeah, I mean, well, you know, I would say is like, you would, you know, take the time to read their website, go, go through that, you know, follow them on social media, if you can take the time to maybe, like I said, connect with them, you know, prior to having a session. And, you know, just say, hey, you know, these are my interests. These are my experiences. You know, you can tell um, a little bit of, you know, maybe why you have this certain interest. And then, you know, take it from there because, you know, you can have some that are, have tons of years of experience. You can have some that are still very new to the scene that are still absolutely phenomenal because a lot of times you and that sub might grow together. So it's just going to be really just researching and exploring and see what's going to be the right fit for you. You know, and I ask them, you know, if there's a certain, you know, if you're a really experienced sub and there's a certain scene that you want, just, and it has to be to a certain expectation, then ask them, you know, do you have experience in this? You know, and if not, you know, if, is there someone you would recommend in that arena? Just like interviewing, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly. I just, I don't know. I feel like if I were to, like, yeah, I've been, I've been talking to the person who um, kind of reached out to you. And I was like, hey, any doms in Denver? And now I'm like, wow, what am I supposed to ask now? Like, hi. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think, that, you know, I don't, I, I've talked to her a little bit on, um, you know, just kind of back and forth interactions on Twitter. Uh, but I think there was a Mistress Nikki. She's, she's red hair um, in Denver. So you might want to reach out to her. Um, I don't really know many people in Denver, but I know just because I was looking to visit out there and, and she, I know she has a dungeon. So you might want to reach, you know, that might be a good first step. Yeah. Just reaching out being like, I've never done this before, but yeah. Yeah. Because you know what? You're going to be nervous. That's, you know, that's, it's, that's very normal. You know, it's, it's to be expected. And sometimes that nervousness is great because it'll, you know, amplify the session and play into it. And it can, you know, it can be very playful and fun. And it's just like, 
sessions don't have to be serious. They can be, they can be a whole gamut of things, you know, they can be very playful and fun. It just really depends on, again, what's the intention that you want out of that session and just be like, this is what I'm, you know, this is, even though I'm new, this is kind of what I'm attracted to or, you know, what I am hoping to experience, you know, can we talk a little bit and, and see, you know, if this is going to be a good fit. Do you have any methods of helping clients relax when they come and they're very nervous? Yeah. You know, I, a lot of times, you know, they'll, you know, undress and get into a very, you know, submissive position, but a lot of times I'll just stand behind them and we'll do like a synced breathing together. Um, So sometimes I might put, you know, my hand, um, you know, resting right on their chest and then we'll take like a nice deep breath and then just kind of let it go. And then I let that kind of get into a very rhythmic thing so they can just start to kind of sit there and release because it takes a good about, depending on how nervous they are, at least around three minutes just to sit. And three minutes goes by longer than what you think, you know, when you're just focusing on breathing. Um, And then I'll just do a little bit of energy work and then let them cut when I feel, you can feel when their body starts to settle and you can feel it. You can feel it in their breathing because they'll take a deep breath and then their body just cut. And then when it releases, it kind of just sinks a little bit more and kind of just lets go. So you can tell, you can tell when they start to get to that point. Yeah. I feel like the whole concept of like domination sounds very aggressive and it sounds violent because there's, there's like that kind of connotation with the word dominance and dominant is something that's thought of as like, mm-hmm. yeah, as of like violent. But it sounds like your work, honestly, yeah, yeah, aggressive. Um, and your work sounds very gentle and soothing almost. So <laughs> I think it's just like, you know, we're getting to that point where we're like settling in. But no, <laughs> not necessarily, you know, I mean, like I could have somebody who's just really into like a foot worship. So I'm not going to sit there and whip them because that's, you know, you know, it's just like, that's the route that it's going to go. But if we're going to, especially if we're going to do like a heavy corporal session, it's nice, you know, like, Hey, let's take a moment to connect. Um, and then, you know, because we're going to go down a heavy road, like let's, let's take that moment to get in there, especially if you're going to get into like degradation and heavy humiliation, like, okay, let's forget everything that's on the outside and like, let's connect, you know, me and you because we're going to go for a big ride. So it's not about like, I, I wouldn't no, I wouldn't like necessarily categorize me as, as gentle, but you know, I, it's just like, that would be like a completely different session if you were going to code for that. But what I do do is definitely take a moment where we can kind of sync and connect because it's going to be, you know, it's, it's important for you to be connected to me and vice versa. Um, and also just to center you before we go on that ride. Yeah. Do you think most dominatrixes do that? Or uh, do you think that's something that's unique to you? Um, I, I, you know, I don't know. You know, I mean, that's probably, that's not really stuff I do when it comes to like a double dom session, because it's, it's definitely more something that, you know, unless they're having like a hard time, like really they're amped up or they've gone through a moment and we just need to kind of like slow down, you know, each, each dom is different, you know, it's, and, and you know what, any, and some subs or clients, they don't necessarily need that, but some do. So I, I don't know. <laughs> I know that there are a few um, doms that have done some energy work. And so I know I've, I've heard that they've talked about like doing a little bit of energy work in, in their sessions, but I don't think it's an overall thing, but I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if down the road you'll see more light workers, you know, um, or dom, you know, dominatrices connecting with light work. Um, because, it, you know, besides me doing that, BDSM has a very cathartic therapeutic thing that's, that's, you know, that can be vital to somebody. So just because I do some energy work or you know, things like that doesn't mean that people aren't getting therapeutic needs out of that. It's just derived or headed in a different direction. That might not be the same unique way that I do it. Oh yeah. So I guess going back to the client dom relationship, uh, what are some of the most important boundaries that can be set for both parties? I would say, you know, obviously having open communication beforehand before starting, because like, 
we're not mind readers. <laughs> so um, whether, you know, yes, I'm going to have to be able to read your body to feel if something needs to be called or, you know, that part of an activity needs to be ended. But, you know, if you're, I do need you to still communicate with me and we can set up the parameters of that. But honestly, it's just being respectful and just listening and respect and listening. Those are, I would say those are the two main aspects that are super important to me. Because, you know, I don't mind if somebody asks me a question, even if it's something that I might might not do, just be very respectful about it. Um, and then we can kind of take it from there. But, you know, if you read their website and you, you know, when you've had the moment to talk to them, you can get a good feel of who they are. But just overall, you know, general respectful communication is, is probably the utmost. Right. So is a safe word like an actual thing? And how often do they get used? If they get used, you know, like when I'm first playing with somebody, I will give them the option of like, you know, just because a lot of times they don't know what to expect. So their minds all, you know, scrambled and they just like, they're like, so in their head. Um, so they might need a, you know, a word to, to facilitate that, but you might be so gone in subspace that you might not be able to communicate. So sometimes I will give them, you know, a safe word, just be like, Hey, if you do need to use it, we'll agree onto this word. However, a lot of times I typically don't um, play with it because it's my job to read you and to understand whether or not this is going to be, you know, a good activity or if this activity needs to stop. So it's sometimes it does get used, sometimes it doesn't. It's it's really kind of derived on the person and, and what they're going through. But I think that just kind of reverts back to communication um, because sometimes people get stuck in their heads a lot. So even if like, you know, like an activity is going and they might not their body might not be, you know, internally processing it correctly. Um, I don't, I don't want to say the word correctly, but it's just not, maybe not it fitting for them. So instead of them not communicating along that way, they wait till it gets to a certain intense point. So especially when you're new with someone, you, the, the lines of communication need to be, you know, are the utmost importance. Once you get to know somebody and understanding them down the road, you know, that leads into a whole different direction. But every, even when I play with repetitive clients, you know, I always still do a huge check-in that day because life happens and there's a lot of stressors out there. And, you know, maybe you're dealing with a lot of family stress or maybe you're dealing with a lot of work stress and, or maybe you're just, you know, health-wise, maybe it's not the same for you. You know, our bodies respond differently each day. Yeah. So then how do you accommodate for all those stressors or all those like situations like like what if I you know were to come in and be like oh wow my grandma died is it okay like let's continue with the session or and like do something more therapeutic or is it like cancel altogether yeah it just depends on the person right right some people like I mean you just be like okay I'm not in the head frame like you know to do this like I mean I, I remember one time like I Mina said we were just I think both of our days were just kind of off and we were just like, Hey, do you want to go to the museum? And we went museum hopping instead for the day. And so that's, you know, that's what we did, but you know, it's just, it's really, you know, it's really just communication. And that's what it boils down to. Some people need that because that's, what's going to bring them. That's what's going to ground them. And that's, what's also going to give them the release. So a lot of times they need that, or they might actually need it a little bit heavier that day. It's really, there's no one size fits all. You're just going to have to talk and then you're just going to have to be open and honest because that's where you're going to get the most benefit out of your session. All right. So I guess getting into more fun stuff, what is like your favorite scene to do? Oh my gosh. Holy crap. Like, I feel like all of your favorites. Favorites. Oh, it's so tough. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes it can be, it can be simple stuff from like, it's so, oh, it's just all over the board. I mean, I do love corporal, but sometimes it can be just like having that banter back and forth. So you can get into some heavy humiliation and, you know, degradation. But you know what? I also just really love breath play a lot. Um, that's another really fun one of mine because they have to have a lot of trust with you. You know, it's um, not only do they have to have trust with you, but then trust within themselves. So I, I have one sub who he would never even think about doing that in a year into our play he started letting me do breath play in it and then it started becoming one of his favorite things because it was an evolution of him like when I, we first started doing it like he couldn't like you know handle we were just doing like hand over mouth things of that sort and 
you know, and so it was really hard for him to handle, but then he learned to kind of almost like let go within himself. So think about it. If you're so tense all the time and you're getting to be able to be in a position where somebody can do that and you cannot panic until it gets to a point because you're, you know, you are holding somebody's breath, but you know, it's, so it's a, it's a, it's an evolution, but you know, breath play has to be one of my top ones too. So I've heard like a lot of things with breath play. So like, how are some of the more like creative ways to do like breath play? Cause when I think breath play, I just think being choked with like a hand or like hand cover. Yeah. You can do choking. You can do hand over mouth. I mean, it's something that you, I think it's, it, it can be, you know, BDSM is risky, right? So be with somebody who a actually really enjoys that. And you know, it's, you know, a safe environment for you, but Face sitting's another one, choking, you know, doing like the triangle chokes and weird um, rear naked chokes. Even doing, you can do um, different ways of doing it. Like, you know, if you people are into kind of like wrestling and doing different um, scissor holds on them is also really great. I mean, it, it goes deep, <laughs> you know, because you can do hoods where you like and then they have like little breathing holes and then you can put your hand over uh, the little breathing area on the hoods you know that's another way to do it there's just it it, it kind of keeps going you know more and more um, but it's a lot of fun because it's like you know that's your one of your strongholds for you know just being alive is your breath right so it's a lot of it's a lot of power exchange within that and um it's a really, I don't know, I find it a very beautiful moment <laughs> when somebody can kind of let go and they can trust that much. And then also when they get to that point and they, to where they're holding it and they get into that intense panic stuff and they're building up that intensity and that tensity and they're holding it and then you finally let them breathe again. It's this wave. So they're riding this, they're riding this adrenaline wave. So it's a very, so that too, once you kind of hit that plateau of like, holy crap, I did that. I, I did that. It's a very releasing um, moment. I guess the best way to do it is like, I not to do it, but to think of it is, it's like if you've ever done like a really, uh, you know, if you've done like maybe if you're a heavy runner or something and you just can't, you know, you're you've doing like more and more miles and you're getting to this point, your body's breaking down and you're just pushing and pushing and pushing. And then finally, like you don't give in and you just keep going and it just becomes, and then you, you hit that threshold and you went past it. And you're just like, it's this aha moment. And, but it also is just like, holy crap. You know, it's a euphoria that you kind of go through. Runner's high. Endorphins. <laughs> Maybe that's play, right? To just run more. <laughs> yeah. Well, your depression. Oh, God. Anything to my depression. <laughs> um, so a few of the dominatrixes we've talked to have told us, like, they've had experiences with clients passing out on them or... Some of them have even had experiences with clients like dying in a session. Like, have you ever experienced anything like that? Yeah, I, I mean, not not. Um, I haven't had anybody pass away, thankfully. Um, and that's uh, that's a release. You know, that's a really horrible and scary and sad situation. But that, again, that goes back to like you know BDSM is a risky activity, and both parties need to be aware and and also be also the you know the same mind to go into that. You know, it's a lot of trust on both ends, and that's where again it always feeds back to communication is like having the sub communicate with you because like if something's changed in your your health life that I don't know about, I can't monitor the activity. Knowing that hey, you might be on this new medication, or you know there there needs to be a heightened sense of awareness. Um, I've had you know um, and especially if you're a new player, you always want to make sure that you let people know, Hey, make sure you eat, make sure you drink enough water. Cause what'll happen is sometimes, you know, they're so excited about, you know, their first session or their sessions, or, you know, they're, they're so busy with work and, you know, intense meetings that maybe they haven't eaten. You know, I, I've had, I think, I think me and another Dom, we did have somebody pass out like who, you know, was doing some intense CBT and there was some ball busting and things of like that. And he got so excited and so worked up that he did pass out. So um, that's where you have to give him a little bit of sugar, you know, get, you know, rest, you know, wait for them to kind of come to. And, and usually if, I mean, I haven't had like an intense pass out to where they're like knocked out for a long time. Usually it's just kind of like, okay, they're going, you know, they're going down. But again, that's why I feel like, you know, communications always, the top priority yeah so serious question obviously like when somebody's passing out 
especially from something really intense. Um, there's a part where it's scary, but then like kind of a few moments afterwards, is there ever like a realization where, wow, like that's the boundary, like we really pushed it. Like, is there ever like an adrenaline rush afterwards from the client? Or is it just like fear? I, I, um, I don't think it's fear. Like a lot of times, like I said, a lot of times if they've passed out, it's because they've worked themselves so, you know, like I said, I can't, you know, explain, you know, to every, because a lot of doms have had a lot of different situations. So for me to give a blanket statement, it's it's just, it's, it's hard for me to do. I mean, the situations that I've had, it's usually the person hasn't eaten or they've gotten so worked up that it's just, you know, it's built up. So that's always where, again, it, you also, you have to be able to read their body and, and watch them. And you've got to watch sometimes too, people, they get into a cold sweat. That's another sign that, oh, you know, maybe we need to pull back. Maybe we need to, you know, hone that down just, a, you know, a little bit or, you know, take a quick rest, you know, so you can, your body can um, come to. I'm curious, like, as a dominatrix, how much of your profession did you learn through, like, classes or research? And then how much did you learn through just experience? Um, you know, I think because I've always dealt with some sort of profession or um, that I've always had to read people um, and read what their needs are and assess them pretty fast. So just because I like years ago, I was a massage therapist for a little bit. And then, you know, like I even mentioned to you earlier, you know, I was, you know, a, a stripper. So, you know, I had to like, you know, read and size, you know, them up within a meta, you know, a matter of minutes. Um, I felt like stripping taught me a lot, really, um, because I had to get in there. I, I quickly had to get into their head and I had to create a scenario and get them to, you know, focus on me because there's a million girls in the club and, to, and we had to build that connection really fast. So I feel like, yeah, you know, I did some, you know, and I waited tables and did some therapeutic work and then, you know, went into the corporate world. So all those things really added up. But I think dancing really taught me a lot when it comes to like psychologically holding somebody, you know, within their head when there's all these other options laid out in front of you. But it's, it's, you do learn a lot on the job and, you know, you'd be surprised how real life experiences will teach you a lot. Um, and you'll learn a lot from, you know, the submissives or masochists and things like that too. And then, but you always want to take classes, but real, I mean, honestly, just doing the work and being in it, it's going to teach you a lot. You mentioned being a massage therapist earlier. You said you were a recruiter and of course you've been a stripper and now a dominatrix. Um, which of those jobs do you think, you know, was the easiest to connect with people? You know, I always thought, I always think I've always done well with being able to connect with people. Um, I think that's just been a good trait of mine. But or which profession did you learn the most? About? Stripping taught me a lot. It, you know, and, and honestly, it taught me a lot about myself. Because like when you're, when you're in like, a business situation or, 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 uh, you know, massage therapy, like, you know, it's a one-on-one, -on -one, right. They know that they're coming to see you where I had to learn sales. <laughs> I had to learn the, the art of rejection, <laughs> which you get rejected like nonstop. And it has a myriad of different reasons why, but it's, that's hard, right. It's hard on anybody, but it, it builds you in a way. So overall, a lot of, real world stuff came from being a stripper and helped me in the real world way more than any job because I went from that to recruiting and recruiting is a lot of like, you know, finding these people, building on their resumes and then selling them. So that job helped me so much. And then getting rejected all the time and dealing with no's on the phone, you know, because you have to keep persevering you know, and then connecting with, you know, the, the clients. So I would say that job really, and it also teaches you how to create a scenario, right? So you have to connect with their brain and the brain's kind of like the biggest sex organ, you know, you want to kind of seduce them and get in their head and get them to like you. Um, so you take a lot of that and you can apply that in the real world, maybe not to that level, but still, I, but I, I would say that job by far taught me so much, so much. 
Wait, when you say recruiter, like as a recruiter, you have to get in someone's head and almost like kind of seduce them. Recruiter. Does that mean <laughs> actually my best friend? <laughs> there were so many recruiters who I've talked to, and I was like, wow, I'd love to work here and just hang out with you and have no other involvement with the rest of the company. <laughs> as a recruiter, I wasn't trying to seduce them. But- so as a recruiter like you have to go in and just be like you know people a lot of times they don't want to talk about themselves well the only way I can get to to learn your strengths and how to sell you is if I can get you to talk about yourself and you know and I don't mean like a lot of people want to talk about themselves but they don't think broader picture right they just go oh I went in and I did a b and d I was like, but what kind of projects did you do? And how did you create that project? And how did you sell that project? And how did you make that project a better product to be sold? Like, how did you create, make, and save money? Um, did you interact on other teams? So trying to get them to kind of really step out and really break down their job. So, and then you're trying to, you know, you're building them up, you're building their resume up. So it's a lot of going in and kind of nurturing and, and building them up. So it's your current job more exciting? Yes. yes it's uh you know you're dealing with so many fetishes and kinks so it's like you really get to create a play in this creative wonderland right like i recently did a custom video like a boar custom video and i um was this queen of the solar system and i went down to earth and you know and i we had this guy who was a diplomat and I brought it back to my private chambers and, you know, his fetish is that, you know, he's like a little man and you eventually you eat them and, you know, you talk about it. So it's like a, it's a war fetish. And then you talk about them digesting in, you know, their body, in your body. So it gets so creative and there's so many of these different unique fetishes and kinks out there that you can really play with so much that's going on. So it's definitely a wonderful, imaginative, creative wonderland that's out there. Wait, that sounds so sick. I guess when I was thinking, like, flip or, like, kink video, I wasn't expecting, like, being a queen. Like, you know, kind of there being, like, more of a plot. Like a plot, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, some of, some of them have it. Like, he had a whole backstory, right? So he had a whole backstory of where this kind of came about. And then, um, you know, we created the the scenario. And, you know, so now I understood I could pull things from, like, the backstory. But... That's like, that's the whole thing with like fetish and kink and BDSM is like, you know, there's just, it can go vast, right? It's not this, it's not this narrow field. And that's why I say like, if you're going to find a dom, like there's so many that play in different arenas that, you know, I've never even touched that it's so just important to, you know, get one that really connects with you. Yeah. Are there any other like areas that, you know, you'd like to start getting into or like you're interested in like trying I guess how do you like experiment with different kinks and fetishes yourself you know it's 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 also finding the subs that are just interested in it like I don't do a whole heck of a lot of medical play but I love it I've always had a medical fetish like I will research everything out of everything. And when I usually go to a doctor, I'm annoying because I've already died. Self-diagnosed myself and I've never misdiagnosed. And I've, I've, I've diagnosed like, you know, family members. And it's just like, no, no, I go to one or two things and I've always do it. So I do have a huge medical fetish, but I don't really get to play in that arena um, that much. So it's just also finding the subs that are, you know, really into it. Cause it has to, you know, you kind of need one, the other. So um, you know, that I would love to get into um, more. Um, I just I just haven't had really the opportunities to get into that. But I love it. Yeah, I remember somebody, so medical fetish is always like something really interesting. And I'd love to just kind of have a little discussion with you about that. Specifically, I remember we talked to somebody who went to a medical fetish workshop. Oh, I just went to one. And yeah. Or went to one like a while back and had something done. And I don't remember the proper like verbiage but had a flesh taco done to him like I don't really know where like you stay do you know what I'm talking about no it's like where you like staple someone's dick to like make oh with like medical staples yeah yeah 
I mean, there's so many different ways you can do different things. It just depends on how the person does it. But even within medical field, it can just be a role play. I mean, it, it's vast. It's not, again, when you even do medical, it goes from, and you can have vintage clothing to what it really looks like in a medical office. Um, Mistress Odette, um, who's in Texas, she is, that's her main thing. And she just recently did a workshop and she did a virtual workshop for a lot of the doms and the, the amount of detail and a lot of the psychological play that goes into it was so amazing. And she put on gloves and there was like this whole glove fetish and unique, the way she did it. And, you know, it was like, you know, it, it was just, everybody's just like drooling over the fact of how she put these gloves on and it was absolutely amazing. And she was like, yeah, you know, I haven't felt this forms and I keep them waiting, you know, like you'd wait in the doctor's office. So it's these little tidbits of unique psychological, psychological play that you don't think about it. That really kind of like plays into somebody's head, you know, because it's like your head's your biggest manipulator, right? You know, there's so much that can be done in there. And like, I remember I had a tooth pulled and I kind of donned myself. I'm like, what if they pull the wrong tooth? And like, you can t clearly see the tooth that's broken, but I kept thinking, oh, they're going to pull the wrong tooth. They're going to pull the wrong tooth. So you can get into your own head and you can say things, but there's, so there's all these tiny nuances when it comes to play that can really, you know, make or break, you know, a scene and it can really deliver something vast. And, and you'd be surprised at the little things that people will grab onto. So like kind of what little things, so like putting on gloves, like waiting room. I, I just want to know like, more about this like I so like she was, she was talking about um you know sometimes like you know you, you if you're having them fill out medical forms you know about their history and she'll she'll make the print really really small you know and it could be something like that's really important about your health and, and she'll have that you know that's so it's really hard to read and she'll rush them through filling it out and like you know uh, so there's just little ways that she, you know, uh, psychologically plays on, on that mind. And then I think she said she, even though she rushed them through the paperwork, she made them wait before anybody like, you know, seeing them. And it was just a whole gamut of things. But this, I, I want to, I can't remember what the names of these gloves were, but she also did this like glove scene and it was this, like you unfolded it, right? So it was this package that you unfolded and these papers and then you know, you'd slide like one hand in there and then kind of bring it down. And then, but you know, it has to be a sterile environment. So you can't really touch anything. Cause then it, then it, you know, it desterilizes, you know, the gloves. And so there's like this proper way of how you put it on. It is just vast, but it's really unique and how she does. She's great. I think she has, she has a bunch of, she has a clip store that she does like a lot of medical stuff. She's so phenomenal. So that might be somebody you guys might want to reach out to yeah i just want to know like all the you know fun things that get to stick in people because it's medical <laughs> i just feel like you get to stick more interesting things yeah. doing i mean there's life. sounds there's catheters there's speculums I'm trying to think of what else enemas oh one thing so speculum that's primarily for women right i think my god yeah uses that yeah one thing one thing i've never asked is how often do you get um female clients i feel like i film more with female clients or or well i feel more with females than i've actually done session with or i've played more with them like as a play party than actually done session wise generally right now the majority tend to be men i would love to see that kind of change down the road just because they'll say they've seen me work for a kink. And so they've seen like with DAS, I'll, I'll get them coming up to me, but I tend to not have them as much as clients as more like I'll play with, you know, a lot of the performers that are, you know, have been in the scene or just film with them. Yeah. I wonder, do you have any idea why that is? Do you think part of it is just like, women? it's just, it's, it, and it's amazing. It's funny too, because like, I, I think I do more scenes with women than I do men when it comes to, you know, if it's, you know, for main production companies, I mean, my clip stores, it's mainly, you know, me dominating men. Um, but with kink, I think I've done more 
me dominating females than, than men. I'm like trying to think, is there like anything that women are more likely to be interested in versus men? I know you said you have sessions with many, but just trying to figure out like small. Um, No, no, not really. Because, you know, it's, you know, there's probably some things like physically you can do with women that you can't do with men. But I mean, like when it comes to sessions, it's just it's the same thing. You know, there's so many different fetishes and stuff like out there. So I wouldn't pigeonhole like women into one area and men into another. It really just depends on them. And then I guess one other thing that I want to know is I guess I've never, when I envision a session, I like always envision like the middle of it, but I guess there's always the process of like actually coming into the dungeon and like saying hi, I guess in my mind, like part of me thinks that your client's already sitting there and then you make the most dramatic entrance. Is that, is that what it's like? I mean, if that's how you want to set it up, you can. But, you know, it, it, usually it's just me, you know, greeting them at the dungeon. So mm-hmm. I got to let them in, right? Yeah. <laughs> then I got to let them know where to put their stuff. And then we got to do a, a check-in again to kind of see how you are. Back in the day when I used to work for a house dungeon, it used to be like that because you had somebody who managed the house and they would interview you know, the submissive and find out what their limits are. So the Dom would just make a dramatic entrance, but I'm, I I am kind of a control person anyhow, but I really like having that moment to connect with somebody to where they they don't feel like they're in the scene. Like, okay, like, let's check in. Like, where are you at? You know, like, let's have a moment. Now, if it's something that we set it up ahead of time, like, you know, because that might be their fantasy, right? And I don't want to take away from their fantasy. If they have this thing where it's like, they don't see me until this moment, you know, we've talked ahead of time. Maybe it's been, you know, a couple of days. We'll, and we'll figure it out. You know, maybe there's somebody there to kind of like let them in or something. But then we'll kind of set that up. And because that might be part of their fantasy. You know, we it's, you just don't know what their fantasy is. And some people, they have specific needs when it comes to, you know, acting out a certain um, scenario or fantasy that they want to kind of see, you know, happen because, you know, I mean, you're in the, the, you're a service, you know, you, it's a service that you're providing to somebody. Um, and that's a cathartic kink that they need to fulfill. So again, so many different scenarios and, and rabbit holes to go into. Yeah. So I guess, um, Obviously, with this question, I don't want to kink shame anybody, but has anybody ever presented an idea or scenario that just shocks you? Uh, not so much. I haven't. I haven't had that. I think because like there's no, I haven't. I haven't had anybody that's you know kink shame me. Um, not kink shame me. That's done something that's where I'm like, okay, that's at least I haven't had you know come across that. Not saying that there's probably there's probably some that are out there. But just within my experience, I haven't, I've usually kind of heard or seen it all, but I'm sure there's somebody who's done something to, you know, that's mentioned something to another Dom that they were just like, oh, that's, that's a little much. But for the most part, I, you know, and and that's not really my place to kind of judge too. It's, you know, it's like, Hey, this is my, this is what I want. And this is what I need. And we're looking for, is this something that you can provide, you know? So it's a meeting of the minds, but I like to kind of give them that space to where they can explain what their needs are without um, any judgment. All right. Yeah, I guess I'm just always curious. Like, I feel like there's nothing that I could say to a Dom that would, you know, shock them. Like, ever. Like, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> I feel like it's like a goal in your head now. You're like, I've got I'm, I'm literally like brainstorming. Like, <laughs> I can see that little like brat turning in you. Oh, like, yeah. So <laughs> I'm really just here to, you know, fuck around and have a good time. <laughs> so I love asking like, okay, like let's get into like weird shit. Like what? Like tell me. Love Trump. We love that. Questions, huh? You, it would probably frustrate you so much to be, you know, have a ball gag and sit in the corner, huh? <laughs> wow, I really just want someone to make me shut the fuck yeah, up. Yeah, sometimes you need it. Yeah. I really need to learn how to be quiet, and my therapist clearly isn't doing a great job of that. All I do is go in and talk about myself. <laughs> all right, well, it's getting to be that time. I think you should ask the question that we ask all of our doms. 
And then, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen? No, things? not that one. What's the LaCroix one? Oh, <laughs> my God. Do you have LaCroix in your dungeon? What? LaCroix? LaCroix. Oh. Uh, or any type of sparkling beverage. I think there is. Did you, it's, it's, I usually mainly use Isabella's dungeon, so did she say yes? Because I'm... I'm I rarely go into the, the refrigerator, but I think there might be is because I know every once in a while we host parties there and sometimes, you know, there's LaCroix there. Is this like a thing where everybody uses LaCroix? It's amazing. It's It started off with the first thing and I just was so excited because I work in tech and I just, I never thought that a sex dungeon and a tech office would have similar beverage choices. <laughs> so you're doing a correlation? <laughs> I don't personally drink LaCroix, so I probably wouldn't have it if it was. Yeah, I know. I know. Mistress Sinclair said that she doesn't like LaCroix, but she is. Um, what is it? Perrier. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I forget. Yeah, how I to... use her dungeon. That's why I'm thinking. You know, between like you know, just events that she hosts and parties that have been there, I'm thinking. Oh, I, I'm sure I've seen some sort of sparkling beverage, but I don't. Wait. When you say when you say parties. I know we need to wrap this up, but I just I just want to ask about that. Yeah. Like, is a party like all a bunch of dominatrixes with like clients? Is it like oh. come in and try stuff? Yeah, like, so you can have play parties, and they're a pay to play party. And there's like a, a a group of doms that are you know usually there, and some that um, rotate in and out depending if they're visiting or if they're traveling. And then there's you know people who will pay a certain amount to come to the party, and then they'll you know tip doms to play with them. So it's it's a great way to. I mean, it's not you, you might not get that one-on-one -on -one intimate time because there's several people in the room. I mean, you'll still get that one-on-one -on -one time, but. Some people, they just don't want anybody around. And then, you know, some people are exhibitionists. So that if you're an exhibitionist, then you probably would really, you know, enjoy that. So it's just really kind of dependent. But it's a great way to kind of be able to at least be able to interact with some doms and get to play and to try out some things and maybe have multiple doms play on you at one time. So they're a lot of fun. I've always had fun, you know, at those parties. And it's just really depending on the person if that's a scenario that they're comfortable um, being in, but they can be a lot of fun. What kind of music do you play at those parties? Oh, I guess it's been all over the board. It's been anything from like, you know, 80s to, um, I've heard like techno, I've heard, you know, some hip hop, or it just, it's all over the board. All over the board. None of those are songs I would have expected. I guess somewhere in my mind when I think party in a dungeon, it's like, just Count Dracula playing an organ. <laughs> Wait, what's Count Dracula playing? What song is that? Da -da -da, da -da 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 -da. <laughs> That's what I imagine in a dungeon. Oh, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> it would probably be so easy to get in your head and just fuck with you. Please, <laughs> I'm begging you. Come to Denver. <laughs> I need you to, again, just my issues. Choke me. I don't fuck with me. Thank you. You that's and that's okay. When we go back to like favorite things to do, that's one of my favorite things. Like I love finding that little thing that just I'm like a little like you know how you're kind of bratty. I'm kind of bratty in that that way too. I don't know if it's right. Like I'm like an antagonist, so I like I know like I love banter. Banter is like my one of my favorite things and I love just shit talking so if I find that thing that either you know frustrates you or gets you going or you know kind of just like especially if it really gets you going like I love finding that psychological thing and then just pressing like you know that little sore that feels good I love just doing that that's one of my favorite things <laughs> that's so fun well from this interview have you figured out mine yet <laughs> I don't know either so you just said you don't know either I don't I don't really know what you know pushes my buttons I think it's gonna depend, it's gonna depend on the scenario in the moment because sometimes you know like I said it might just be ball gagging you and sticking you in the corner it's just gonna really depend on the situation it's all right well I'll let my future dom know yeah. you know if it's not you like hey 
somebody once suggested to like put a ball gag on me, put me in the corner. I don't really know if I like it or not, but like <laughs> it depends. It depends on you if, you if you kind of fuck up, right? If you do something, you, maybe you need to be punished because sometimes the the worst, the the most tormenting thing you can say to somebody is no, right, and ignore them especially if they want all that attention. So it really just, again, it always goes back to the scenario and, and, you know, and what's important, but yeah, definitely a lot of psychological with you. (laughs) The definite. I'm so excited already. (laughs) I can't wait for this new chapter of my life. You should. I have a dominatrix and I'm more like emotionally stable. (laughs) Do it. You'll have so much fun. (laughs) Well, Mistress Locke, thank you so much for talking to us. We really enjoyed this. Yeah, this was so much fun. I had so much fun. Thank you, ladies. If our guests who are listening want to find you, how would they get in contact with you? Sure. So I am on Instagram. So I'm Domina underscore Helena on Twitter. It's LA Domina. So LA like the city at LA Domina Helena. And then my website is dominahelena.com. And I'll probably be redoing that sometime fall, fall, winterish, doing all of upgrade of all that stuff. Perfect. Well, yeah, if you guys want to follow Mistress Helena, you absolutely should. Um, And if you want to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at Candy Girl Pod or on Instagram at Candy Girl Podcast. And if you have any questions for us, for Mistress Helena Locke or for anyone else who's been on the show, you can always email us at candygirlpodcast.outlook.com and we will hear from you guys next Friday. Candy Girl Podcast. Fuck me, Daddy. Ha, ha, ha.